Hi and welcome to Emerging Markets Today. My name is Ana Paula Picasso and this episode is all about the power of data in emerging markets. I interviewed Joseph Rutakawa, co-founder of Wazi, a company using on-ground data from markets across Sub-Saharan Africa. Joseph told me why data is so important for emerging markets economic development, not only in the private sector, but also in the public sector. So he came up with the idea of starting Wazi using gig workers, what he calls mappers, and they provide the most localized data for companies and NGOs. So without on-ground data on, you know, specific consumer behavior in target geographies, you wouldn't know how actually people behave and what moves to make, right, to enter these markets and succeed. So what we're doing as Wazi, we're um, utilizing a network of what we call mappers, but we utilize a network of what we call mappers who are local people in these geographies. If you want to know more about Wazi, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And don't forget to check out EmergingMarkets.today and you can help me to keep Emerging Markets Today, the podcast and the website free from ads and paywall by simply donating any amount via PayPal or directly in the website. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was very educational for me. And don't forget to follow this podcast in your favorite podcast platform. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Anna. How are you doing? Good. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling better right now. Where are you dialing in right now? Yes, I'm dialing in from Dubai. Um, I'm currently in Dubai for, for holidays, um, but I'm generally based in Mauritius. So I'll be back in Mauritius next week. Yeah. So I'm here with Joseph Rutakawa, the founder of Ruasi. They provide organizations with fresh on-the-ground data for markets across sub-Saharan Africa to facilitate effective decision-making. I'm reading this out from your website, which I thought was really good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The reason I wanted to invite you here is I came across an article about Razi and yourself on Medium and about how data is so important and how you saw this massive, massive gap, especially in Africa for data. And also reminds me the time, long time ago, probably 12 years ago, when I was in London, I worked for a market research company and I was in charge of research about Brazil. In those days, Brazil, was, the economy was booming. There was a lot of interest of investors and companies that wanted to know more about the Brazilian market. But it was a big, so difficult to find data, so like consumer data, how much people were spending in supermarkets, things like that. And I'm guessing it's probably the same in Africa too. I know it's a pretty obvious question for us, but why is data so important? Yes. Um, well, uh, thank you so much for having me um, in this podcast, uh, first of all. And I'm glad that you came across Wazi. Um, online. Um, so yes, um, data is um, really important, mainly when it comes to decision making at any level, right? So I'll start with the, um, you know, the most obvious part, which is governments. So governments, uh, governments, Africa is developing um, 
is you know one of the uh, the ends on the developing uh, country scale uh, country scale has the most of them and um, if you look at you know their contribution in the global economy is like two percent um, you know total GDP of all African countries um, but now if, for governments they would need to know where to invest the um, you know limited funds that they have access to um, and you can't know where to invest if you don't have um, accurate on ground data to track um, you know the return on investment in real time right um, so what happens mostly is you find that um, governments are investing blindly um, and based on you know your experience from the last decades or or based on what they're seeing in other countries, like, you know, what's happening in Asia um, and, and South America, rather than using the on-ground data in their own geographies to see what's actually relevant, right? <clears throat> so without this, they're just doing blindly, right? And on the other hand, you also have um, non-governmental organizations and, and other development agencies. They, you know, pump in aids in these developing countries but they don't have on-ground data to assess whether the aids um, actually had the positive outcome that they were looking for, whether it's socially, economically, um, or otherwise, environmentally or otherwise. So even on the aid part, it becomes, you know, spending aid money and not actually getting the results. And, the, you know, what they do currently is they depend on governments to give them the results, but then governments forge the results so that they could get more aids and so forth. So nothing is actually turning into, um, like you don't get the return on the aids um, investment, if you may, uh, because you don't have on-ground data. When it comes to businesses, um, businesses, you know, it's a, it's a misconception that because, you know, countries have a low um, economic output, uh, you'd assume that there isn't a big business opportunity, but it's actually the opposite because for developing countries, most of the products and services don't exist, right? So it's actually an easier ground for business because you only have to copy paste what has, um, what's being sold in developed countries, right? Whether it's tech products or consumer products, like physical products and so forth. But then how do you then enter these markets and how do you then um, you know, know what, uh, what to sell, how to sell it? How much you sell it? So I'll take an example of consumer products, uh, as you mentioned, right? So you have a lot of you have big, um, you know, uh, countries that are coming up fast. You know, you have Nigeria, um, you have uh, you know East African countries like uh, Uganda um, and so forth. But then what you what what's not the same in Africa is that um, rising like having a rising middle class in Africa does not translate to people buying products in supermarkets or modern trade outlets and, and, and does not translate to people buying certain products that you'd assume middle class people would buy, right? But then without data, you'd you know, copy-paste the model that has worked in developed countries. For instance, middle class, the, you know, the, the typical middle class person in Africa who drives, who has like two cars and, and so forth, buys uh, products in the local retail outlets, which are not supermarkets. Um, they go to drink. They don't go to a fancy bar. They go to a pub, a local pub, um, so they don't spend their entertainment. They don't go to movie theaters. They don't spend. They go. They don't visit malls and so forth. So if you're a consumer product company, you don't want to <clears throat> run your promotions and place your products in in what they call modern trade outlets. You want to follow these guys in their neighborhoods, in 
you know, local shops that look shabby, but then that's when that's that's where actually products move, right? And on top of it, you actually would think that uh, middle class um, consumers are the ones who spend the most, but no, um, the low class consumers, for instance, we've done data for, um, you know, the alcohol industry, the the cigarette industry. Local consumers are the ones who spend the most on alcohol, <laughs> the ones who spend the most on, on cigarettes and so forth. So without on-ground data on, you know, con- specific consumer behavior in target geographies, you wouldn't know how actually people behave and what moves to make, right, to enter these markets and succeed. So what we're doing as Razi, we're um, utilizing <clears throat> a network of what we call mappers, I can explain later on why we're using mappers, but we utilize the network of what we call mappers who are local people in these geographies. I think that brings to my next question, Joseph. When was the light bulb moment for you when you saw this gap and you saw this, um, you know, this data gap that companies didn't have? And when was the light bulb moment when you decided to start Ruazi? Yeah, so I, I started getting a lot of, I can go back, so I can go back as as, as far back as uh, high school. So in high school, I used to do a lot of research and I would find that if you go on Google and you find information, you won't find information on Africa and other developing countries. You know, you won't find information on Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. You'd only find information mainly on, on Western Europe and, and the US. Yeah, even Latin America is very hard. Even Latin America, yeah, you can't find information on, you know, Uruguay and, and, and so forth. So I, back then I was, you know, so I was like, okay, so there's a big need to have information uploaded, like, you know, information from developing countries uploaded on the internet, right? Like on Wikipedia and the likes. And then fast forward, I started getting consulting projects. I was fortunate. Um, I, I went on a postgraduate program at Lehigh University in the US. And from there, I started getting consulting projects. And on these consulting projects, I was usually the only African in the team and the only one in charge on, on getting you know data in Africa and advising companies on how to expand on the continent. And throughout that time, I couldn't find anything in Africa. And, you know, and I assumed that there's um, information, but it's in paper, like it's in, you know, physical uh, documents, but then only to find out that that wasn't even there. So it's not just the problem of digitizing the information that's available, but it's a problem of collecting it. And the more consulting gigs I got, that's when I realized in 2018, in 2017, end of 2017, I realized that, okay, so all these consulting gigs imply that there's so much demand on you know, on entering these developing markets and there isn't data on these markets. So the opportunity isn't actually advising companies on how to enter, but the opportunity is actually making data accessible. Yeah, bring something on paper, like black and white, to show them and say why they have to make this decision instead of that decision and where yes. to go, where to invest. That, that's yes. great. So that moment, I realized that even um, like you know the, the the actual demand job isn't to uh, build strategies and consult and do that, but it provides data services to the consultants and research firms and the other companies and organizations that need um, to invest in developing countries. So that's when um, my friend and I, Eric and I, started um, Roazi. Aha! You can, you have a co-founder. 
Yes, I remember Commander Eric. Eric had worked for Airtel, had worked for Doctors Without Borders and, and some other organizations doing the same thing. So um, we, we, we had the same um, experience um, of not having, you know, on-ground data in Africa. Yeah, yeah. And then when did you start? So we started um, Rwazi in 2018. 18. Um, you know, we started it in Mauritius 2018 and we started mapping in East Africa and expanding from there. So the way we map is an organization um, reaches out to us and places an order of, I need, you know, X data from X geography, you know, uh, at X frequency, right? And then we um, send out a notification to map to our mappers in that, in you know, in those geographies and they, they get to work. Right now we have um, 10,000 mappers across uh, 40, more than 40 African countries um, they're in villages, they're in towns, municipalities, and major cities. And they're, you know, mappers of different calibers. We have every, everything from, you know, an 18-year-old uh, university graduates, uh, people holding masters, all the way to PhDs and, and grown-ups, you know. And we have the oldest mapper is like 62. So we have older mappers who are retirees. Um, they have experiences in, in different industries, and they can get sophisticated data um, when needed. Yes. Yeah, no, over 40 countries. Well done. Well done to you Thank guys. You. You. That's not Thank easy. You. And then, yes. yeah, another aspect as well, you, t you talk about your mappers, the people that are on the ground collecting the data, and they're all gig workers, aren't they? So why did you choose this business model to hire gig workers? Yes. So um, it, it stems from the, the other side of the problem. So... Um, right now, you know, Africa has about 200 million young people who are unemployed and they're educated. Um, they have access to internet. They have smartphones. You know, in, in the next, you know, by mid-century, we'll have the youngest, the largest workforce in the world, the youngest workforce in the world. It's already the youngest right now. And we'll have about a billion people who are not employed, right? So if you have a billion people who are not employed, there are two things that can happen. Either... The you know the most obvious thing is they will um, create they will destabilize countries because they will you know they'll be out you know creating violence and all that because they are frustrated and, and they need a way to earn an income, um, and the formal sector can't absorb you know all the unemployed um, young people who are you know getting out there. So we have like every year eleven million young people. Are, uh, you have a you have a deficit of um, eleven million positions. So um, I believe, we believe at Ruazi that uh, creating gig, um, gigs is the most effective way of um, reducing unemployment. Um, gigs are immediate, right? They have less um, criteria to entry. Um, you just need to have a smartphone. You're, you know, you're educated. You can operate a smartphone, have access to internet, and voila, right? And, you know, gigs are local. So you, you tap into people in their, in their local communities to provide you with data. But on the opportunity side, right, this is an opportunity for organizations to pay and buy data directly from people. So you have issues that have been happening to older tech companies like Facebook, which is um, getting, um, you know, data from people without, um, you know, paying them, without paying for it, Right. So rather than going through the hassle of trying to, you know, secretly um, take, you know, someone's data and then get sued and all that, 
why can't you just directly pay someone to give you data? And and people will happily, I will happily give you, tell you what I ate in the morning and why I chose to eat croissant and, and you know, and certain Nescafe and so forth if I am paid for it, right? And you have all these meals of people who they don't have an income and they're willing to pay for, um, you know, to, to, to get paid in exchange to providing you with data, whether it's their personal um, data, it's data from their surroundings and so forth. So at Ruazi, what we um, what we aim at doing is um, tapping into um, locals and getting locals to provide organizations with data in exchange for payment. Right? We think it's it's the best way forward. It's the best way of harvesting data, and these locals are your consumers. They are your prospective customers. If you're an NGO, they're your beneficiaries. So why would you ask a government? on the impact report when you can actually ask the people that you build the bridge for to tell you the, you know, the impact of the bridge. Like right now we're mapping uh, demand for clean water in Uganda for, for a Japanese company. Yes. So demand for clean water, we are mapping ho- households. They're telling us what they eat, how they earn, what they earn, you know, how much water they consume, you know, how much more water they need, what they're going to use it for. Like you and you're getting their contact details. So if you're an NGO, you actually reach, you talk to the people that you're doing the project for directly. So you don't need to ask the government to, you know, tell you information which would most likely not be um, accurate. So that's why we're tapping into mappers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. So you mentioned that uh, you work with NGOs, but can you give me an example of, let's say, one of your past case use cases or there was a misconception and then your data came in and proved them wrong and then um i can give you a case of demand for clean water for instance so we started mapping demand demand for clean water in um in uganda and what we were ma- when we started mapping the assumption was um that people don't have the uh, money to afford more water that's why they they, um, you know, they, they, they use, they have limited clean water, right? And, you know, they have to go the distance and so forth, but they don't have the money. That was the assumption. And the Japanese company, Sunda Global, that, um, you know, was mapping this, um, you know, the, the, their strategy was how do we make water more affordable and so forth. So we did, we started doing the mapping and mapping was, you know, the mappers were the, you know, respected people in, in, the, in the communities the pastors and so forth. So um, they, they are allowed in people's homes um, and they're collecting the data with images and so forth. And as we were collecting the data, we found out that people don't have a problem paying um, a good price for water, right? What they need is water to be closer to them. So they need more water stations, right? And they need a more trusted um, way of payment, right? But they, they are willing to pay. If they trust that you know the money goes you know to the um, to to uh, maintaining the water source and so forth then they are willing to pay for it and they need the distance to be um, reduced right so when that was found okay this is not an obvious thing that you'd think the villagers would be able to like uh, you know affordability isn't the the point so that was you know that was contrary to what the the primary assumption was um if you go to consumer products um, for you know, if you go to, for instance, vacancies. So we've been mapping entry-level vacancies across Africa for an organization called the African Leadership Group. 
Um, and, you know, the organization is, is placing young people in formal sector. Like job vacancies, you mean? Yes. So we were mapping. Yeah. So the, the organization, the African leadership group is placing young people in formal sector jobs. Right. All right. And our job was to find the vacancies, which, you know, with which they should place the young people. And the primary assumption was that you have a a lot of um, unemployed young people and few vacancies. But we mapped more than uh, 50,000 companies and we found more than, you know, 300,000 vacancies, right? So you have 300,000 vacancies to the point that we found more vacancies than the unemployed young people who were, you know, on the roster waiting (laughs) waiting to you. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I think LinkedIn... LinkedIn should take notes. I know, right? I know. <laughs> and 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 the way we were mapping, we were you know visiting the offices with you know our mappers were visiting all every single office. And you know these companies are not online, right? Right. Their businesses right. are not posted online, right? Like mm-hmm. not eighty percent, like eight zero percent were not online, right? Not posted online. And these are good paying jobs. And people, you know, we found a lot of people were like, yeah, I need people right now, like today. I need people, right? And there's a next door to a young person who is, you know, hustling, looking for a job. Yeah, yeah. But then the, 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 you find that the problem was young people are looking for a job at obvious companies. They're going to Vodacom. They're going to, to obvi- like big name companies, big name. But they're forgetting that there's a small five people company that has two vacancies, right? Right next to you. That is not mm-hmm. no. small, medium so, businesses. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So these are things that you can't find out online. This data is not online at all. You have to have local people go in door to door to local businesses and find out these vacancies. Right. Um, for consumer products, we mapped like. And yes? when did you put these vacancies afterwards? How did the people find these vacancies afterwards after you collected the data. Uh, so when we collect the data, we collect company information and all that, and then our client now directly interacts with the companies um, to do placements. Yes, yes. So it's like a leads generation kind of um, kind of uh, opportunity here. So the same uh, on consumer products, for instance, um, we mapped uh, in the you know alcohol you know universe. So you know it, we mapped a lot of. So the assumption with from our clients was you know this is premium spirits. Um, you know, the, the person who consumes premium sweets, you know, is expected to be middle class and above. Um, they expect to consume them at, you know, premium, you know, uh, outlets like, um, you know, sky bars and so forth and hotels and, you know, four star, five star hotels and et cetera, et cetera. Only to find out that people who are consuming um, these spirits are actually low income, you know, like low middle to low income um, people. These are the ones who are consuming um, at high volumes. They're paying the most for it. And they're consuming these spirits in pubs. Like So you'd assume uh, an expensive spirit like Shivers or Jameson would only be found in a certain caliber of, um, of, of uh, bar or lounge. And we found this in pubs and consumed by completely local people who are you know, riding bicycles, you're walking, <laughs> and they're paying top dollar for it. You know, and, uh, you know, a a normal company, a normal alcohol company is not marketing to these people. Right. But these are the actual consumers in in, in African countries. 
So you find that not having on-ground data would lead you to market to people who are actually not paying for the, not buying the product the most. And you're leaving the actual consumers down. You know, in cigarettes, uh, we mapped, uh, you know, cigarettes as well. We've been mapping cigarettes as well. Um, you know, cigarette companies assume that um, you, you, you should market to people who can buy packs. And people who are buying individual cigarettes, you know, they don't have money. You know, they don't have money. So forget about those guys. But then we mapped only to find out that people who are buying individual cigarettes end up buying more than a pack than compared to people who are buying packs. Yeah, yeah. the people that don't know, I, I've, I've read that people buy individual cigarettes in yes. developing countries. Yes. is a thing, yeah. yeah. And they consume more. They consume more. Yeah. And, and they're not in fancy shops in supermarkets. They buy them, you know, on tabletops. You know, those people who put products outside on a table? Yeah. That's yeah. where they move yeah. them off. Informal workers, informal. Yeah, it's not a proper shop. Yeah, there's lots of peculiarities to... There are also the common denom- denominator, like informal working and people buying from, not from chain supermarkets like this. Uh, but there are also few peculiarities in different countries, in different cultures as well. Yeah. So that's all the data. That's how the data is yes. so important to, to know. And, and Joseph, now it's time to talk about the future of Ruazi. How do you see Ruazi progressing in the next few years? Do you have any plans mm. yes. to expand outside Africa, maybe? Or, yes, sure. Or within Africa? So right now we're expanding into, this year we're expanding into India and Southeast Asia. Yes, we have started um, with India already. We're getting uh, stand-up mappers in India and we'll move on to Southeast Asia as the year progresses. Um, we are doing um, business expansion into the U.S. So last year we, we opened our U.S. Uh, company, uh, moving to the U.S., doing more customer acquisition in the U.S., um, and I'll be, you know, we'll be more in the U.S., like getting U.S. companies who, who are looking for that from international markets. And eventually, so we're looking at um, getting a network to 10 million mappers by 2025 to 100 million mappers by 2030. And by 2030, it's 100 million mappers from um, South America, Africa and Asia. Right. So these three continents, this is our primary focus in the next 10 years having a network of mappers, 100 million mappers in, in all these continents. Wow, so there will be a lot of mappers. Yes. A lot of yes. mappers, yeah. Yes. Also, um, starting all this... in a gig style. All gig, would be all gig workers. Yes, all gig workers. Mm-hmm. And also, this year, we've started adding um, uh, mapping. That is not That does not require movement. So organizations can now map um, mappers' personal experiences, right? So, for instance, you know, whether mappers are experiencing domestic abuse. So, a mapper is anyone. A mapper is, you know, could be anyone. Um, so, you, you can get them to, you know, tell you whether they're experiencing domestic abuse, um, you know, whether they've, you know, how they are eating, you know, nutrition-wise, um, health-wise, and so forth. So, you know, we, we're working with an NGO, a Canadian NGO, which is mapping chronic diseases in, in uh, DRC. So, you know, so now we're venturing into that world. So that is much, much simpler because mappers have just report their own personal experiences um, and organizations can, can work with them directly from there, right? Um, so these are all the sources of mapping that um, we, 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 we've started doing, actually, um, starting this month. 
and and moving forward. So if if you're an organization and you are interested in knowing, um, like in completely um, um, getting data on someone's full experience, and you can do videos and images and all that. So for someone's full experience, you can you know tap into Mapas. And what I like about it is it's organizations get what they want, which is um, data that they would otherwise not access, but then they also um, pay for it and people get uh, income generating opportunities, people who are in, uh, in these regions. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That's that's great. So good luck with that. And Thank if you. anyone is listening to this episode, I want to know more about Razi, a company or NGO. Yes. How, how is the best way to reach out to you? So the best way to reach out to me is um, they can email me at either joseph at razi.com or my last name, which is rutakangwa at razi.com. Otherwise, um, they can you know yeah. go through our website, which is razi.com, or check us on LinkedIn um, at Razi. Uh, you can just yes, Google I'll Razi. put all the links in the show notes. People can go check out Razi website and reach out to Joseph directly as well. So yeah, so thank you, Joseph. I think it is always good to talk about. Uh, you know, emerging markets, how people behave, how the differences between emerging markets and developing countries. Yes. And data indeed. is so important, obviously. Indeed, so, indeed. So important. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here and allowing me to share um, yeah. share my work and, and where we're headed. Yeah, maybe we should do a follow-up in a few months or next yes. year to see Definitely. how it's going. Rosie.